Okay, the biggest imprint, the biggest imprint on our lives is what we did or did not receive from our parents. And every single one of us looks to our parents for blessing. And that's this mix of unconditional love and acceptance. And that's by design, okay? That's by design. It's intended by God the way he created, the way the world's supposed to work, to prepare us for a heavenly father who loves us unconditionally and accepts us. But as we learned, or as I highlighted in our last series, One Big Story, the world is broken. The world is broken. And it's a broken world filled with broken people. And all of us, all of us have broken parents. My childhood, I had an angry mom. She was mad at God. She was mad at the world. She was mad at her mother. She was mad at everybody, including us kids. And then my dad was very passive when I was growing up. And there were a lot of ingredients in my family life that made me unsure of myself. It made me unsure of my parents' love and, and acceptance of me. And so I looked for that in a lot of different ways. And I tried really hard in sports. But as I've shared before, I cannot catch a ball. I cannot throw a ball. I can run fast. So in baseball, I, that was horrible. Every time I got up to bat, I either struck out or I was walked. Uh, and they put me in right field. And the few times a ball came, I failed to catch it, okay? Dismal failure. I begged my parents, please let me go out for football. Please let me go out for football. And they said, no. Well, now as a grown-up, I look back and I go, I could have been a running back. I would have been fine as long as they didn't catch me. <laughs> right? <laughs> And so I tried sports because I knew that was a way to have people go, woo! But thank goodness in middle school, I discovered something I was good at. I could ace anything. I like in, give me a test, bing, 100. Have me do a paper, bing. This is the best paper we've ever read, A. You know, so I could get straight A's like no tomorrow. And so that worked out really well. I was straight A mark. Okay, and those A's were me saying to the world, hey, hey, look at me, I'm valuable, I got worth, see what I can do, I can get straight A's. Now, lucky for me, the state of Indiana started a program when I was in high school where you could get a letter for getting straight A's. So I brought with me today, I brought with me today the jacket all of these bars are semesters of straight A's. I ran out of room. I've got a box with several more of them. I just couldn't fit them on the jacket. Okay, so I was given the task when Governor Orr came to our high school of introducing him because I think I was like president of the National Honor Society, but I had some kind of role where I had to do the thing. So I get up there, the only, I've told you this before, the only thing I had to do was, ladies and gentlemen, we're so excited to have Governor Orr with us today, Governor of the state of Indiana. And so I got up there and I went, Thank God my high school band director was sitting in the front row. He came up, he put his arm around me, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I think what Mark is trying to say is we're excited to have Bob Orr, the governor of the state of Indiana, with us today. And he pulled me down to my seat. Can I just say 
look what they did to this letter. Do you know what they did? Do you know what it says? It's obvious that this is not a sports letter. Do you know how many dates this jacket got me? Do you know how many? Zero. Zero. And I tried. I tried. I asked Cammy. I asked Amy. I asked Cynthia. I had a long list. Would you please be my girlfriend? Would you please go out with me? No. I just want to be friends. And all this other stuff, because that was another way that I was kind of looking, you know, validate me, give me worth, please, somebody. Thank God Jenny took pity on me, because if she hadn't, I'd be single today. Still, okay? So you would think that by the time I hit 20 or 25 years of age that I would have figured out how identity works, but you'd be wrong. In the late 1990s, I went to a conference at Saddleback Community Church, and I was the children's pastor of uh, Church of the Savior at the time. We were about 300 at that time, and so my senior pastor took me with me to sunny California, and we went to this very exclusive conference. There were only a few of us there, and we were going to sit at the feet of Rick Warren, Mr. Purpose Driven Life Rick Warren, and let him teach us how to be great pastors. And so after on the first day, after the first session, we were given assignments to sit at tables at lunch, okay? So I go to this table, and I'm 31, 32 at the time, and at this table are a bunch of guys in their 50s, and they're all senior pastors. And so we go around the table and introduce ourselves. Your name, your title, and then the second question pastors always like to ask is, what are you running? Which means, how many people show up? And so 5,000, 7,500, 4,300, 1,200, thank goodness for the guy who had a church of only 800, <laughs> and then me, 300. The entire lunch, not a single one of them asked me a single question. And so I went home and I was resolved, I'm going to be a good pastor, I'm going to be an effective pastor. And I launched this uh, revamp of our midweek and I tripled kids attendance and I had people at church telling me, good job, Max, way to go, job. Max, we don't know how we would do it without you, Max. You know what they did? They hired three people when I was done and they haven't skipped a beat. <laughs> they haven't skipped a beat. They've done just fine. In the early days of generations, in the early days of generations, I had, and this is confession, I had an unhealthy sense of identity. And if the room was full, if we had a lot of people, I was thinking, I'm doing great. If the room was empty, I'd walk home with my tail between my legs thinking, I stink as a pastor. I'm horrible. Because I was rooting my identity in that. If people liked me, if they liked my preaching, I was doing well. If they didn't like me, they didn't like my preaching. I was like, again, tail between my legs. So the truth of the matter is, I'm a Johnny come lately when it comes to cementing up my identity. And if you don't know who you are, if your identity is, rooted, is not rooted in something significant, you will look for validation and worth in all the wrong places. You will do what I've done where you look to your work to validate you. But here's the thing, no matter how good you get as an engineer, as a doctor, as a teacher, as a whatever, 
there's always going to be someone who comes along who's faster and better. It's always going to happen. If you root it in your body image, you can maintain that up to a certain age. And I am learning that age and gravity will always win out. Can I get an amen? Age and gravity will always win out. Always. You can look and you can try and get validation and worth through other people. A lot of people try this with a lover. They find somebody, love me back, and you validate me and give me worth because of your love. And it, it's great until you hack them off, until you're not meeting their needs, until they decide they want someone else, and then it's crushing. I can't tell you how many young bucks I've met where they, they meet a girl, they fall head over heels, and she's validating him. And as soon as she's tired of his tricks and all this other stuff, she emasculates him. And it's, it's just bad news, okay? So I'm here today to tell you that who I am, I love you, but it's not based in Generations Community Church. Who I am is not even based in my family, and I love them to death. I'm a lot freer, and I'm a lot more certain today, and I want that for you. I really, really want that for you. In a nutshell, I don't want you to labor under a curse of what you may have received as a kid. I want you to be free. I, I don't want you to look for validation and worth in some of the places that I've looked in my life. This is really, really important. For seven years straight, I taught a course at Asbury University. And I didn't teach in the regular college. I taught in the adult degree completion program. So these are real-world adults who had some college and who, because of their job, they needed to finish and get that college degree because it was preventing them from getting promoted or, or, or getting the kind of raise, the, the, the kind of things that they wanted. So they would commit to go to class every Monday night for two years straight. And classes would only last about five or six weeks. And... The class that I taught in that program was a class on small groups. And one of the things I wanted them to see was that because they were gathering together every Monday night, by the time my class, my course came up in their course schedule, they had been together for a year and a half. So they were already a community. They were already, how's your wife doing? How's, uh, is your Uncle Bob doing? How are the cancer treatments coming along? They cared about each other. They were a little community because they were getting together and they were having time before and after class. And so I would give them this assignment. I would say, pick three obstacles that you've had to overcome and choose one to share with class. And the examples that I would give them is, maybe uh, you had a speech delay as a kid and, the, and other kids made fun of you because you had a speech impediment. Or maybe you had some, something physical that you, got, you, know, you were hung up on, like an equilibrium thing in your ear, and it was hard for you to learn how to ride a bike. But pick, you know, choose three obstacles, but then share one in class. Over seven years, all of those students, without exception, you know what they shared? I want to tell you about my parents. I want to tell you about what happened to me. When I was nine... My mom up and left. And all throughout junior high, all throughout high school, I thought, I I thought it was my fault. I thought I was the one that caused her to up and, and walk away. And, and I would meet these girls and I would be like, 
oh my gosh, but I would know. I would be subverting and trying to push them away because I knew they were gonna leave me just like mom left when I was nine. I would have people with tears in their eyes share about how their uncle abused them or uh, how their father was so overbearing with sports. And I, you know, I was all state and my dad, it wasn't good enough. How could you miss that ball? And literally, person after person after person, broken parents produce broken children, okay? This is reality, and it's been true for a very long time. Tucked away in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 27, so if you brought a Bible, that's where we're gonna be today, is the story of one particular family. It's the story of Abraham. Abraham's the guy that God makes an everlasting covenant with. Abraham's the guy that has this special kid born when he's too old to have kids biologically. Abraham's the guy that God's gonna bless the whole world through. But Abraham is a broken man. Abraham is a liar. Abraham took his wife to Egypt and because she was so good looking, he was scared to death that people would kill him just to get his wife, so he concocted this story, she's my sister. Abraham's son, Isaac, went to a different place and did the very same thing to his wife. Oh, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, was also a liar. You wanna see family dysfunction, just read the book of Genesis. It's all over the place, family dysfunction, okay? Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac is the son of Abraham. Isaac and Rebekah had twins, Esau and Jacob. And each one of them had a favorite. The problem is, they weren't, the, the favorite wasn't the same. Each one favored one of the two sons. Esau was the firstborn. Esau was hairy, he was a redhead, he loved hunting. Esau, when he was older, sold his birthright. Um, here's what that means. I know this isn't fair, young people, but back then, birth order was really important. And if you were the oldest boy, you would get twice as much money as anyone else in terms of inheritance. Double portion, because you, you came out first. Woohoo! And you were a boy. Woohoo! That's how they rolled. And so, because Esau came out first and he was a boy, he, he was going to get twice as much as uh, Jacob. But he was hungry. Uh, he was desperately hungry. His brother had made stew. And so, he sells that double inheritance away for a bowl of stew, right? Uh, Esau also married people outside the tribe, which mom and dad didn't like very much at all. Now, Jacob was the, the he came out second. So of the twins, he came out second. He was a bit of a homeboy. He was a thinker. He was a ponderer. And he was mama's favorite. Now, in Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 through 4, we read this. One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son? Yes, father, Esau replied. I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. And then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. This blessing had kind of two parts to it. One is this God part, this God's favor, God's protection, God's success thing. But it also had a relational part. 
unconditional love and acceptance. And, and, so, and so the Hebrews of this time would wait for a special occasion and the patriarch would verbalize this over his son. Okay? Now, when Esau goes out, Rebekah, his mom, hatch, hatches a plat, plot and she decides, you know what? I, I, I think Jacob is the one that deserves it. And so read what happens. But Rebekah, verse five, that's the next verse, but Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to her son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal and then I'll bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now son, listen, do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks, bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob said, my brother Esau's a hairy man. My skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him. And get this, he'll curse me instead of blessing me. In other words, if this thing goes south, I'm toast. Not because he's gonna kill me, but because he's gonna curse me. And so, uh, Jacob has, has this rationalizing part where he's thinking to himself, well, you know, if, if I'm gonna get this blessing, maybe some trickery's okay, maybe God will understand. Well, read how this plays out. And this is verses uh, 13 and following. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goat for his mother. Rebekah took them, prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. And she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and smoothed part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. And she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. Now, Jacob... Uh, Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son, who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, oh, it's, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now, now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. How did, how did you find it so quickly, son? Oh, oh, the Lord put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, come, come closer so I can make sure and touch you and make sure you're really Esau. So Esau went, Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's but the hands are Esau's. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's, so Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son Esau, he asked? Yes, I am, said Jacob. I'm sorry, but Jacob's a liar. That's a lie. He's lying to his father. Oh, bad. But you know what? His father was a liar and his grandfather was a liar and lying seems to be a family trait of this particular family. Three times his dad suspects that something's not right. Three times he lies and he gets the blessing. He gets the blessing. The next several verses show exactly how devastating this is for Esau. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud, and get this, bitter cry. My father, what about me? Bless me too. 
Esau exclaimed, verse 36, no wonder his name is Jacob. He's cheated me twice. First he took my rights as a firstborn, blamer. Now he has stolen my blessing. Haven't you saved a blessing for me? 38, Esau pleaded, but do you only have one blessing? Father, bless me too. Esau broke down and wept because he was missing something he needed from his father. I want to suggest to you that there are many, many ways that children receive a curse from their parents and their upbringing instead of a blessing. One is flood or drought. This plays out in your family if there's a favored son or a favored daughter. If one is skinny and one's fat, if one's smart and one's dumb, oh, I'm the dumb one. And I can tell you as being the favored kid in a family, when you're the favorite, it, it's not a blessing because you love your sibling, you love your siblings, and you want them to be equally loved and supported by your parents, okay? So flood or drought is one way. Just out of reach, this is the stereotypical parent. The kid brings the report card home and there's one B and all A's. And what does the parent say? What's this B? What happened? What's this B on here? You know, you can do better than that, right? Look at all these A's. You're capable of this. This is the kid, this is the parent on the baseball field. How could you miss that? How could you miss that? That was an easy pitch. It's devastating. A blessing exchanged for a burden. If you have been abused, you weren't blessed, you were given a burden. Um, if one of your parents was very, very sick with cancer and you ended up having to basically function as a parent growing up, instead of a blessing, you were given a burden. This is another way that this plays out in families. Another one is emotional minefields. This is Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. One day, oh, it's, you're the best kid in the world. Everything's great. I love this family. The next day, why did we even have you? Right? And it's condemnation and, and just the worst verbal abuse. If your parent had, was bipolar, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? But emotional minefields is another one. Another way that you get a curse as a kid instead of a blessing is unyielding tradition. These are families in Boston and places like that. Your father was a cop. I'm a cop. You know what you're going to be? You're going to be a cop, son, because that's what we are. <laughs> right? And you're like, but I want to dance. And <laughs> right? No. <laughs> okay? Unyielding traditions. You, it could happen. Come on. Unyielding traditions. Then there's the half-blessing. Mom and dad get divorced, or mom or dad just up and walk away, or you were adopted, and there's this part, you, my, parent, my adopted parents love me, but like, where did I come from? What's that all about? Why was I given up? Like, so you want to know this story. This half-blessing, Josh, I know you hate me for this, but I just got to say, this is Bruce Wayne, baby. This is Bruce Wayne. Come on. His, he is absolutely loved by his mom and dad. The only problem is they're gunned down in an alley when he's just a kid in a robbery that's gone bad. And in that moment, as a kid, he is powerless to save his parents. 
And on the inside, he is angry. He is angry that his parents were taken from him. And that anger takes him to a very dark place, which is why it's not the happy night rises. <laughs> it's the dark night rises. And he dons this suit and he instills fear and terror into criminals because he is doing it out of the fact that he is so wounded because what they took from him as a kid. And he is going to make them pay. This is a vendetta. This is serious stuff. Hollywood understands this. <laughs> okay? That's why this is so powerful in movie form. I love the scene where the scarecrow gets him, and you have mighty Batman in this suit, and he's on the you know, communication device. And who's he calling for? Alfred! Alfred! Help me! Alfred! And so Alfred's driving him back in the limousine and poor be crippled Batman in the back seat needs a 70-year-old butler to rescue his butt. Come on. It's hurt. It's hurt. Okay, all of these things are things where we as kids receive a curse instead of a blessing. If you don't see yourself in any of these things today, you know what? Be thankful. Be thankful. But understand that most of the people that you meet in life struggle or have struggled with some of these things. If you saw yourself in some of the things that I talked about this morning, I want you to do something, all right? One, I want you to be honest. Stuffing it down and doing the whole Pollyanna, oh, it's fine. Yeah, my, my childhood was tough, but you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Okay, <laughs> don't stuff it down. Stuffing it down, it's going to come out. When you fall in love with somebody, it's going to come out. When you have kids, it's going to come out. Okay, stuffing it down does not work. You got to face it, you got to name it. And sometimes it means you got to name. This is, you know what? Mom, dad, when you walked out when I was 10, that hurt. Now, I'm not talking about saying it to them, but articulating and naming what was taken from you is important because it in positions you to forgive. Um, but the, the first part is you got to be honest. You got to be honest with yourself. And here's the thing about forgiveness, and I wish I could do a whole thing on forgiveness. Forgiveness in a nutshell is when somebody owes you and in all of these cases, right, that we talked about parents, right, parents owe their kids something. A parent who's abandoned, a parent who's been, you know, schizophrenic, all those kind of things, those parents owe their kids something. They, they took something from their kids that their kids should have gotten, right? Let's acknowledge that. So forgiveness is simply deciding that someone doesn't owe you anymore. Now that, it's a process. It's not an easy thing. Forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. Trust is always earned. Okay, so I can forgive somebody that I don't trust farther than I can throw anything. All right, but I, so I, it's important. So the reason that you're naming it and being honest is so that you can position yourself to forgive. Once you've forgiven, that's when you have the ability to talk with your parents. All right, sitting down with your parents before you have forgiven that always goes to a dark place. <laughs> and that always turns into an argument. And sometimes that involves the police, and they're happy to come out, 
but <laughs> they would rather not because it's really risky for them, okay? The second thing, if you see yourself or saw yourself in, in what I was talking about today, try and understand your parents' story and their background. I did not know until I was an adult that my mom's mother had been married six times. I always thought that she had been married once and then she married Grandpa John. Nope, there were five, you know, there were four or five others in between. I never knew that until I was an adult. I didn't know until I was an adult that my mom's mother basically shooed her away when she was two and that she spent all of her childhood till 16 growing up with her aunt. I didn't know that. This is important background. <laughs> my mom didn't do that to us. Ding, 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 ding. That's a win. <laughs> and she might have been angry, but you know what? I would have been angry too <laughs> if that had been done to me. Okay, so understanding your parents' background. And so it, it's helpful to talk to aunts and uncles, sometimes grandparents if they're around, where you can do, hey, so what was it like for my dad growing up? What, what did he experience? What was it like for my mom growing up? What was in the mix? What was part of her story? Because doing that allows you to have a better understanding of how things played out and why things played out the way they did. All right, so the key thing in this is acknowledge this stuff is going on. I've got this deficit that I'm trying to fill in these other places, and that's positioning you so that you can forgive and take some steps. And we're going to talk about that in the weeks ahead. But here's what I want to plant a seed today, right? I can't not share good news. That's what I'm supposed to do. God can change a curse into a blessing. He can do that. The Bible is full of broken people that God takes a curse that they inherited and turns it into a blessing. Rahab was a prostitute in a city that was about to be run over by the Hebrews, decimated and destroyed. The Hebrew spies show up, she takes them into their home and she verbalizes to them. The whole city's talking about what's gonna happen. Clearly, we know what happened to the Egyptians, and if there's a God, it's the God you serve and you worship. Do me a favor, spare me and my family. She's a prostitute, okay? And so she later is written about in Scripture. They talk about the Hebrew community and how she and her descendants are a respected member of the community. A condemned woman in a condemned city ends up being, in a sense, a leader. David, David, the King David, he didn't start out that way. The prophet was coming to anoint the next king of Israel. Jesse assembles his sons, all of his sons, the important sons, the sons that have potential for God to do big things in. And guess who got left in the, the fields with the sheep? David. Do you know what his dad was basically saying to him? God's doing big stuff. Clearly, that's not going to involve you. Love you, son. He becomes the king that God says, I will establish your throne, your descendants forever. Curse into a blessing. Joseph, you want a poster boy for curse into a blessing? His brothers hate him so much because he can't keep his mouth shut and he says stupid stuff. He gets sold into slavery, goes to Egypt, 
through this whole set of reversals, ends up becoming second in command of all of Egypt, and then his brothers show up looking for food. If he were Bruce Wayne, he would not have forgiven his brothers. <laughs> okay? What does Joseph do? I know that you did evil, but God has brought about good. A curse into a blessing. In this room right now, there are adults who could tell you stories about their background and their parents and what they experienced. And they would say to you, you know what? God can take a curse and turn it into a blessing. My identity is not rooted in things other than Jesus. It's not perfect yet. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. But do you know that every time a new church gets planted in this community, I reach out to that pastor, I have coffee with them, I pray for that church, I will look for ways to help that church get started, and do you know how much it pains me when they say to me, Max, do you know what? You're the only pastor to reach out, to pray, to ask how we can help, and I'm like, aren't we all on the same team? Yeah, I guess it, it doesn't always feel that way. Well, you know what? We are on the same team. If I worried about other churches being more successful, I'd be more territorial. It's why when we have a building someday, if you, on the background back here, it'll never be a logo of Generations Community Church. You know what you'll see? A cross. <laughs> okay? I want for you to have one thing. Freedom! That's what I want for you. I want you to be free. I want you to be free so that you're not looking for worth and validation in all the wrong places. I want you to be free so that you know who you are and you know whose you are and nothing can take it from you. That's what I want. And I'm telling you, it's huge. And when you get to be 30, 40, and you meet guys that have this settled, everybody wants to hang around them. Because there's something, there's a, there's a strength there's a safety, there's a lot of things in this, and it's true for men and women, all right? That's what I want for you, and I just want, again, plant a seed today that, yes, no matter what you have in your story, God can change a curse into a blessing.